0: today by taking a big, deep breath. So everybody, let's do that. Yeah. I've heard from many, many of you this week. And I think the resounding thing that we all feel is that we are in a moment, and the moment seems very mentally and emotionally fragile. It's just the best way that I can describe it. There is a sense that with so much change, there is this kind of dust that gets kicked up in our hearts and in our lives, and things are brought to the surface that we haven't looked at in a while. We've just been in this moment, and it's the season, and it's extending probably longer than any of us would like. And as the dust gets kicked up, in our souls, I just think some of us are starting to ask, is is what I'm standing on, is the foundation I'm standing on, even going to hold me up in the end? And this came to mind, uh, actually, this week as I was preparing for this talk, but also um, as I was looking at our bathroom remodel. Surprise, surprise, you all have heard me talk probably a year ago now at this point, or even longer, about a big kitchen remodel that we did. Well, now we're doing our upstairs bathroom. And I realized, like, nothing is in my control. I can't control the racial climate, the political climate, the socioeconomic climate. I can't even control my house and what the kitchen looks like when all the cooking has gone everywhere. And I just went upstairs and I thought, ha, I can tackle this. I can map out everything where I want all the new fixtures in this bathroom to go. It's totally gutted now. And so uh, I have just the subfloor out before me. And I'm like, yes, I I got this. So I start measuring things. Like, okay, the bathtub's going to be, you know, 68 by 34 over here. And I want, you know, big, big shower um, because Amos and I are big people. So I want, you know have anything over my head that's too low. And I'm measuring stuff, and then suddenly it's like, wait a minute, is that a wall straight? Like, I'm, I'm holding the level up, and it's like, how do I even know that at the end of the day, this bathtub is straight in relation to the shower? Is it actually at a 90-degree angle? I don't know. <laughs> I just felt like God kind of chuckled and said, yeah, Allison, isn't it, isn't it crazy? Like, we're in a season where we have to base things off and measure things off, something that is constant, something that doesn't change, something that is just like the law of gravity, it's just there, or like things that are level. Isn't that cool that a level works? Like you hold it up and somehow it tells you when things are straight. And I just felt like God said, that is who I am, that is who I want to be for you this morning. And so I just want to talk a few minutes before we even jump into our passage just about that anxiety, because I think we're all feeling it. The moment has extended, like I said, longer and harder than we really want. And what I've heard from you all and what I've noticed in my life is there's kind of three different patterns of responding to this. We either feel like life is frozen. I've heard that from some of you. Like, I don't know how to make plans. I don't know how to make a decision about a job. I don't know how to make a decision about my kid's school. Should I cancel my vacation? What is going on? And life just feels frozen in this moment. And others of you have told me, I'm just really irritable. I I see it, like everything ticks me off. I'm super annoyed at the dog and the dishes and my spouse and my coworker and my kids, and I just can't seem to like shake this sense that I'm just irritated. And yet others of you have said, Allison, I don't really feel like going anywhere. I'd like to just hole up in my room. I don't want to get out of bed. I really feel myself isolating. I really feel myself pulling back. And it just struck me, change in our bodies, neurologically and neurophysiologically, is experiences anxiety. Like we're all like, whoa, things used to be like this, and now they're like this, and I don't know what to do. And so what happens is anxiety. And I just want to say, our limbic systems are in overdrive. We've been in this fight, flight, or freeze kind of moment for a really long time, and we're starting to burn out. And I don't know if your conversations have gone like mine have in the past week, but I really don't think that we're going to become less anxious people in this moment by trying to be less anxious like by spinning our wheels so some of you maybe have had a conversation with a friend or a family member and they say gosh I'm really afraid and you say back to them well you just shouldn't be scared it's just really not a big deal don't be afraid I don't know if that's worked for you that has not worked for me in this past week or here's another good one you get into an argument with your kid or your spouse and you say you just need to calm down Yeah. That doesn't work either, does it? I, I mean, I don't think I've ever had calm down work for me to get anybody to calm down. And so, in this moment, I'm just so thankful that Jesus is giving us a better answer than calm down and don't be afraid. He says, you can sink your roots of your soul into me because I am unchanging. God is an unchanging And in times where everything is changing around us externally, we have to come back to the center, this place where we know that if we're standing on an unchanging God, then we can get perspective on all the other things externally that are happening. And so I just want to pray that this morning. Just wanted to name that anxiety we're all feeling. It has been a week. It has been a month. It has been many, many several months of carrying this load. And I just think God has an invitation for us to to unburden ourselves a little bit in that way. So just pray with me a minute. Holy Spirit, would you come now? Father, whatever we are carrying into the room this morning, into the living room, whatever the vibe or the mood is, God, I pray that your presence would come and settle us down. And I I pray that as we open the Bible today and we just hear the simple truths that are in it, God, that that you would actually come and feed us, that you would come and nourish us, that you would come and bring us the peace that we long for, that we cannot manufacture ourselves. God, I pray that as we read and dive into the Lord's prayer this morning, God, that we would learn how to inhabit it, we would live it, would actually do something to change us today. Amen. So you hopefully know we're in a series called Love Period, and that has been our series on the Sermon on the Mount. And today we're jumping into a new chapter, Matthew 6. So if you have your Bible, you can open that up or grab your app, or you can just follow along on the screen with me. But hopefully you remember Um, just kind of the outline of this sermon that is so, so famous has been Jesus saying, hey, this is the constitution of my kingdom. This is the character of my kingdom. This is the way that life works well when you live these good and beautiful things. And then we just wrapped up a long, it feels like a long several weeks on all the toxins that kind of get in the way that come and steal the good life from us. So we've talked about the love of money and anger and murder and lust and revenge and you know here i'm just so excited to to open up this passage for you today because it's not like god keeps us hanging he's not like okay so that's a tall order just get all that stuff out of your life and then you'll be good no he's like i have an answer for you i can help you do this i can help you weed out the bad, and let in the good, right? Because I don't think that, for me, like just stuffing the bad down this whole time isn't really working. I don't know if it's working for you, but it's not working for me. Like I can only stuff it down so long. Jesus says, nope, I want to actually give you something good to replace the things that are rotting and decaying in your life. And so we're picking up Matthew 6. This is verse 1, and it's, it's a long one. I'm going to read until verse 13. This is, starts off with giving to the needy. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And then Jesus goes on and says similar things about prayer. He says, and when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. And it stops there, and for those of you who know the Lord's Prayer, it goes on. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, the Lord's Prayer is probably some of the most quoted, most said, most cited words in all of human history. I do not think that this is unfamiliar to you, but... Um, but I'm guessing that a lot of us grew up hearing it maybe and we learned to memorize it. We learned to be able to say it just out of this place of rote memory. Some of us say it out of a place of duty. Um, even a place of like, when I'm struggling, I want to come to these words because they, they comfort me. I find them comforting. Um, but maybe we don't really know what it means and why it matters. And again, I think today Jesus is saying, like, in an anxious, anxious moment, I'm going to give you a model for how to pray. And this is going to center your soul. So I think it is so interesting that Jesus could have opened this prayer uh, with lots of different names for God, right? If you've read throughout the Bible, there are so many names. God is... um, portrayed as a mother hen. God is light. God is wind. God is friend. God is helper. God is even a creator or a king. And Jesus says, no, when you come to him in relationship, it has to be out of this place of a father and a father-child relationship. And, you know, I recognize that for many of us, the idea of imaging dad as, or God as a dad um, is not an easy one. It has some baggage for us. There's some wounds there. Um, and so I get that. I get that. And I hope that today as we are looking at this, that we can see that, that how God is a father to us is very, very different because he's perfect and he's pure and he's always, always good. Um, that's funny. I was watching Wes. Wes was worship leader up here today. I was watching Wes's two kiddos out in the cafe this morning, and Brayden looked up at me, and he said, Hey, hey, that's my dad. That's my dad in there playing on the guitar. And I said, Yeah, that's cool. And he goes, Well, actually, his real name is Wesley. It's not dad. Uh, and I actually have two dads. The other one is Josh. And I I, I have two dads. And he was so... Kathy. He, he was so excited to share with me that he has two dads. And he gets it. You know, I, I talked to Wes and said, can I share that? Because that was just so in line with what we're talking about today. And he said, yeah. And he said, you know what? Braden gets it. He understands. I'm his stepdad, but but I'm his dad. Because we have a relationship where there's care and commitment and that's communicated to him. It's It's very different than like Thomas Edison was the father of the light bulb, right? We, like, we use that word strangely. Um, and that doesn't actually mean that, like, he's going around, like, caring for light bulbs all the rest of his life. I mean, maybe he's pretty nerdy with, with his, you know, hobbies. But I don't think that that, that is what Jesus is saying here. Um, in fact, the Aramaic word is translated as Abba. And I know you guys know this. Hang with me. This is familiar, so sometimes it's hard to catch, like, why it is so significant. Um, I always learned that ABBA was translated daddy. It was like a really endearing, sweet form of um, interaction. And, and so a term that you would call your dad if you were a little kid. Uh, but I did some digging, and actually ABBA in that culture was also used by adults to refer to their adult parent. And so I want you guys to kind of think of it as more like in the South uh, Adults call their mom, mama. You know, they say, I love my mama's cooking. And it, it's also a term of endearment, but it's not something we grow out of. It's not like, oh, once we're over 18, suddenly I read this and like, God's not my dad anymore. We've, we've gone past that. I think Jesus is saying there's two ways to really interact with God. You can interact with God out of a place of, Business relationship with him, or you can interact with them out of a place of family relationship. And I was trying to think of different examples for this. And you know, you can you can be a renter, or you can be a boarder. And I mean, you you can have a great relationship with your landlord, right? You can say, you know, I really honor what you're doing, but still the basis of your relationship is goods and services, right? You pay your landlord and maybe he makes sure that the snow is removed from your lawn. Or you pay your landlord because when something breaks, they fix it. And in return for that, you say, okay, well, I'm going to promise that my dog won't pee on the carpet and ruin the carpet. And I also won't, you know, watch my Eagles games at a volume where the whole neighborhood feels like they're in my living room and, and I'll get evicted that way for disturbing the peace and being too loud. It's not like that. That's a renter relationship. And in family, you're a border. You stay in the house, you share in the family affairs. And you know, the other way that I've heard people try to relate to God is I've heard people say, like, God's my boss. Okay, so it's not, it's not entirely untrue. There are probably some ways that God has authority in our life. Um, but again, if you screw up too many times in your job, your boss is probably going to come to you and say, hey, I mean, I have to fire you. This is, this is not okay. Your behavior, your performance is not lining up. And, you know, some of you have great bosses, They're kind, they're committed to developing you and your skills and your person, um, and maybe they're even like really cheering you on. They want you to succeed, but they're still not your parent. Parents have a legal responsibility to care for, to protect, to provide for their kids. And you know, I, I don't know about you, but when my kid is doing something bad, she actually, like, gets more of my attention sometimes than when she's doing okay, right? So when she's acting up, I, I don't fire Isla. <laughs> it's not like, okay, you're done. <laughs> you know, I'm tempted to some days. Uh, but no, no, there's something about it where I actually am more engaged with my kid when they're naughty. I, I, you know, because I, I, I want to say, come on, let's talk this through. What's, what's going on? And that is who God is to us. Family ties go deeper than business agreements. They go deeper than political alignment and loyalty. And Jesus just doesn't want a business relationship with you. You know, I think no matter how much we think we're bringing something to the table in exchange for God's love, it just doesn't work that way. And I'm so grateful that it doesn't. And so I want to jump back up here now to the first seven verses before the Lord's Prayer, because there was a lot we read there that was setting up the Lord's Prayer. And you kind of see this interesting cadence where Jesus says, well, if you pray like this, then you're not going to get a reward from God, but you will get a reward from people who are watching. But if you pray like this, then Jesus, God will reward you. And I I just think it's so interesting here. Jesus is continuing the theme. We've been hearing this like ad nauseum. You guys are probably so sick of it of Week after week, we're standing up here saying, it's not about the external behavior. It's about the condition of your heart. So you can either pray to have good external appearance, to look good, or you can pray to have good internal appearance and be good and be right. And Jesus says, you know, this is the metric. This is who how I tell the religious, from the actual followers of me. I'm looking at your heart. And he is so interesting. He says, don't pray like the pagans. Well, I always thought, well, if you're pagan, what? who are you praying to? But again, you look up the Greek and Roman gods in the Bible. They have different names depending on Greek or Roman, right? But there's, you guys probably know this, there's gods of horses. There's gods of wind. There's gods of fire. There's the god of fertility. There's the god of, oh, what's a weird one I saw? Oh, the god of art, trade, and strategy. I was like, whoa, those are three really interesting things to put together in one god, little g god. And, you know, Jesus says here, the pagans use many words. They babble, and they use many words. And when you look up In the Greek, the word babble here actually means empty. So he's saying, don't fill the air with empty words that are many. And the word many actually translates as anxious. Isn't that interesting? Anxious. So don't fill the air with anxious names of all these other gods because i looked this up and what they actually do when they're praying is they're just going to on repeat ad nauseum keep naming all the names of the gods hoping that whatever thing they want they're going to say the name of that god enough times that he or she's going to respond that's actually what they're doing so it's just over and over and over in the synagogues on the streets they're they're calling out i need food i need shelter i need rain whatever it is and they're hoping that the right God is going to respond to them. Whew. And in a, beyond that, they actually bring offerings to their gods. Right? They say, "Ah, it's this transaction. Like, I'll give you." I looked this up too. One of one of the offerings was like three pounds of flour and two pounds of millet, and like just different things. And suddenly, that that combination was going to like bring that exchange that the person wanted. Jesus says here, you can pray in a way out of your own strength and out of your own strategy and ideas to get yourself noticed by people, right? But but he says, they will have their reward. And, And do you guys catch how many times here it actually says the word reward? I thought it was so interesting. I was curious. I said, I thought to myself like those words must be different when Jesus gives a reward versus when people give the reward. And I looked it up and it they are different and it's so cool. I just have to tell you this. The Greek word for reward when it is a noun, a thing that somebody can give you is the Greek word for payment or wages. I think it's up here. Mistos, yeah, I was trying to remember it because it sounds like misto, like a coffee drink. Anyway, mistos, mistos is I, you will get a wage, you will get a payment. You do this and I give you this back. It's tisk for tat, it's transactional. When it says that your father will, will reward you, that's actually a verb and it just means to give or to yield like a fruit tree would yield some fruit to you. I don't know. I don't know if this is sinking in with you guys, but for me, I just, I can tell myself all day, yes, I have a father God who loves me like a dad, and yet I live like we're just going to do this business exchange thing. But how does a dad reward? He doesn't pay his kids wages, and it's okay if you give your kids an allowance, like I'm not saying that, but he's not paying wages, he's giving himself to you. He's giving his life, his time, his heavenly storehouse is open. And so I just want us to consider this morning, how how are you approaching God these days? Is it in a business transactional way, or is it in a family way. Like, you can say, I got my part, God, you got yours. Like, please hold up your end of the deal. (laughs) I've done that. I've prayed that. But it's, it's just not the invitation for us this morning. So I just want you to see that this idea of Father is so, so foundational. If we don't understand that, the rest of the Lord's Prayer actually makes no sense. And I really want to zoom in on just one other part of this prayer, but before I do that, a quick note on the word hallowed. It's kind of a cool word, right? Hallowed. But when was the last time that you actually hallowed something? I don't I don't know if I can think of it in that term. But this is a word that doesn't get translated, even though it could, because we just don't have a good word for it here. So, to hallow something, to set it apart, to mark it as holy, to say that it is just totally other than. And this morning, I just want you to know what you adore, what you love, is what you will hallow. The thing that you most adore is not God, uh, then you're going to only pray when the thing that you hold most dear and most valuable is at stake of being ripped away from you. Maybe it's the career that you have that you've risked it all to get. Maybe it's a promotion. Maybe it is the health of a loved one even, like our kids. That's a hard one to admit, but my my daughter can take a hallowed place in my life where it is actually above Jesus. And I think that's when I notice the anxiety. Like when I sit and say, okay, I've just got to get blank, or if this doesn't happen, blank, I'm going to fall apart. My life is done. And so because we're talking about prayer today, We're just going to do a little prayer right now. We're going to keep praying through the rest of the talk. I just want to pause here and just say, God, would you come, wherever you're at, just take a moment to consider what am I hallowing these days? easy to think about things that we are quick to praise like our favorite sports team or even the way that we parent we can be proud of that we can hallow that but sometimes it's the thing that we really don't want to admit that we're really clinging tightly to All of your problems, guys, are love problems. (laughs) Did you know that? We all have love problems. And I'm not talking about romantic love here, obviously. But all of the problems that we carry start with our affection, our love, being away from God and drawn on to something else. Just like you'll see it if if you have problems of affection and love for God the Father, then as you go on in the Lord's Prayer and you get to petitioning and you get to confessing, all those problems show up there. That's probably what you're going to be asking for, and it's probably what you're going to be confessing about. And I think that's why Jesus says you have to start with praise. Praise. You have to put me in a position to realize, like, I actually am holy. And all that really means, guys, is it means God's not common. We're common. We're common humans. And it's not even a bad thing to be common. But Jesus is holy. And when we recognize there's something outside of me that has more power, more strength, more wisdom, more goodness than I do, then I can genuinely ask for God's will to be done. Because catch this, that hallowing, it's an act of trust. Why does God say, please hallow me? He doesn't need his ego boosted. He says, hallow me because you need to remind yourself that I, God, will never fail to do the good and right and beautiful thing in your life. Never even, I mean, that's what I want for my kid, and I'm nowhere near a perfect parent. But God is perfect, and he says, it's actually not possible. It's outside of his character. It's outside of his nature to not give you good and beautiful and right and true things if you have the courage to seek him for those things. Just love this because this idea of adoring Jesus actually heals our hearts. It heals us of the belief that just because God won't give me everything I want, doesn't mean He won't give me anything. And I didn't teach Isla this, right? But when she comes up and she's like, "I want this cookie," and I say, "Oh, sweetheart, that's not good for you. You can have carrots, or you can have this piece of bread." And it's just colossal meltdown, right? She is convinced in her little spirit that I won't give her anything good. And that's not what I'm doing. In fact, I'm trying to n- nourish her body just like Jesus is doing for us. And so I just I want to land today on this idea of bread, of daily bread. That's what comes next. Give us today our daily bread. So I'm someone who forgets to eat. Does anybody else do that? No. I know. It sounds weird, right? Like, why would you forget to eat? Because I love good food. Amos this week actually said, you know what? I really appreciate about you that you like good food, and you're a foodie, and you like to cook, and I I like that. And I thought, well, that's weird. I do. I love good food. I love good wine. I love good cheese. I love, like, just a savory, ooh, hearty vegetable meal. I I just love food. But I forget to eat. And I think in the moment I decide, like, well, I'm too busy. I'm really productive right now. I don't want to put the thing down that I'm doing because I'm going to roll. And I'll just eat a bigger dinner later and skip this meal. And I, just this idea of daily bread just hit me in the face this week. Like, that's not actually how it works. It, it doesn't work like this. You actually can't eat tomorrow's meal today. I mean, you could try, but I think eventually you're going to get too full and it's got to come out somehow, right? You can't do it. And it's the same way with sleep. Like, that's another way we get our daily bread. You can't actually make up for lost sleep. I so wish you could some days, but you can't. You can't. Yeah. And so I had this awareness, like, why am I not eating? And I realized, well, whatever I'm doing instead of eating is actually a way that I am hallowing that thing above God. Like he's saying, Allison, I'm asking you to receive, take my offer, (laughs) take me up on this, sit down and eat. And I'm like, nope, no, thank you. Somebody asked me this week, how are you doing, Allison? I said, well, I've eaten four of the last six meals on the go in the car. So probably not so good. And again, that's I don't mean any shame or guilt if you eat on the run. But this idea of being nourished, pausing to be nourished by daily bread, I think is so so important. And you know, there's nothing inherently wrong with having a plan. Uh and planning for the future. But again, I was reminded this week of the story in Exodus where the people are in the wilderness and they're starving and they say, God, we need something to eat and he brings manna down from heaven. And they're cool with it for a while and then they get really over it, right? But what happens? God says, I'm going to provide for you and it's going to be just enough for today and then I'll give you some more tomorrow. But what do the people do? They start stuffing their pockets with the manna. And this is so crazy. They wake up the next day, and they realize it's decayed. It's actually rotting. There's worms in the bread. It's a lack of trust. Like, I got to have a backup plan. I got to have a backup plan for my backup plan. I got to have some reserves. We're going to stuff it away. And God says, that's not actually how it works. It's daily bread. You can't save it up. But that's okay, because there's going to be more for tomorrow and I really think you know how would this change your life change your schedule change your sanity level if you realized that you're gonna get what you need today just enough to get to when your head hits the pillow at night and you fall asleep and you can go to sleep with the assurance that tomorrow you're gonna get some more You know, I I was reading this and I thought, it's kind of strange that God is talking about giving to the needy and prayer together, but it actually makes so much sense. Because if I'm not worried about where tomorrow's meal comes from, then I freely can offer someone else some when I see that they have a need, when I see that they they aren't getting that daily bread. And one of the biggest ways that God nourishes us is through receiving daily bread from other people. Like we deliver spiritual meals to each other when we offer kindness, encouragement, a listening ear. Maybe it's a literal meal. I've had many of those in my life from people. And just this week I sat in life group and I heard stories of people say like, It was so inconvenient, but this random stranger dropped by my house and just wanted to talk to me, and and this person made time for them. And she ended up with tears in her eyes at Life Group saying, I got something out of that interaction. I chose to open up my home, my time, my heart to this person who stopped by, but I actually received from them as well. And, And just last night... My house was an absolute disaster, and I was overwhelmed, and I thought, my parents are coming today to visit, and I'm like, they're going to come into an absolute wreck. Oh, well. And I get a text from a friend, and she says, can I come over and help you clean your house? And I'm like, oh, well, I got to prep for my talk, but I don't really want to turn down that offer of help. And it was such a daily bread moment for me. And she said, yeah, that was weird. I don't know. God must have just put you on my mind, because I just thought I would check in and see how you're doing. That was my daily bread. Never dismiss a prompt from God to do good and offer daily bread to someone because those are holy moments. That's what you get in exchange from God is this holy moment. And beyond that, Jesus says, I am the bread, right? I am the wine. I am the Sacrificing my body to nourish yours. And we're not going to take communion together this morning, but as we close, I just want you to think about this week. How sweet, how sweet is it that God would give us something so tangible that we have to eat multiple times a day? That's the image He gives us His daily bread. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast of The Vineyard Church, Chester Springs. We hope you share this with your friends and family and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.